This is the evening edition of the Daily Podcast Practice Show for Saturday, January 29th, 2022. I'm your host, Rich Grimshaw, putting the P in podcasting through relentless daily practice on my road to podcasting fame and glory. It's good to be here practicing my podcasting skills, and thank you for being here with me on my journey to complete 365 consecutive daily podcast episodes, a journey I began 343 days ago on February 20th, 2021. You can find every single one of these environmentally friendly, ethically sourced, and 100% sustainable podcast episodes at the website dailypodcastpractice.com. This podcast is made possible by Wikipedia. It's not sponsored by Wikipedia, but it's made possible by them because I go to Wikipedia for every single episode. Without them, I couldn't do it. I support Wikipedia, and I hope that you will too. If you are a Lunatalian, then you'll want to know that we have a waning crescent moon tonight and heading toward a new moon, total darkness. That will occur in just three days, February 1st, 1246 Antimeridium. According to the collective genius at nationaltoday.com, today is Curmudgeon's Day, where we celebrate all the cranky and fussy people in our lives. Why today, you ask? Well, that's because born on this day in 1880 in Darby, Pennsylvania, the actor, comedian, writer, and juggler William Claude Duncan. Dukenfield, better known as W.C. Fields, who, according to those writers at nationaltoday.com, quote, finessed the persona of a curmudgeon with his comic acts and became one of the best-known entertainers of his time by portraying cantankerous and antisocial characters throughout his life while maintaining his absolute affinity for alcohol and his disdain for dogs and children, unquote. He was a character. I'll give him that. One thing I learned about Billy Claude today is that he was a world-famous juggler. I never knew that. I've never seen him juggle. But apparently he did it well. One of the earliest skills that he picked up, I think, as a teenager. And he reveled in it. And he entertained lots of people with it. Curmudgeon or not, that's what he did. So happy Curmudgeon's Day, y'all. And happy birthday, Billy Claude, Billy Claude, Billy Claude Duckenfield, Duckenfield, must be Dutch, W.C. On this day in 1892, the Coca-Cola Company was incorporated in Atlanta, Georgia by Asa Candler. This is the drink that made Atlanta prosperous, indeed. The drink Coca-Cola was invented and formulated in 1886 by pharmacist John Stith Pemberton. I believe he was in Columbus, Georgia. Johnny had experimented a whole lot, and in May of 1886, he had what he wanted. But the new product was unnamed, and it was also uncarbonated at that time. Johnny's bookkeeper, Frank M. Robinson, came up with the name Coca-Cola and the logo. Frankie chose the name as an alliteration of the two main ingredients of cocoa leaves and cola nuts. Three years later, in 1889, American businessman Asa Griggs Candler bought the Coca-Cola formula and the brand from Pemberton's heirs. Apparently, Johnny died. I didn't realize that, and I don't know the circumstances. Anyhow, Mr. Candler started the Coca-Cola company, 
1892, and in just three years, just three years, Coca-Cola was being sold in every state in the Union. And now, today, it's sold all around the world. Carbonated sugar water is sold all around the world. And, of course, they use their vast empire of bottling plants to also bottle water in plastic bottles, which then pollute the planet. Yeah, that's business. And when you're in Atlanta, by the way, you don't order a pop or a soda. You order a Coke or a Coca-Cola. That's just the way it is. Now, if you pull into the drive-thru at a restaurant that is owned by PepsiCo, let's say Taco Bell, and you say, I'll have a Coke, I'll have a Diet Coke, they'll say, is Pepsi or Diet Pepsi okay? And you just got to suck it up, big boy, and say, yeah, sure, I'll take it. Also, on this day, in 1964, the movie Dr. Strangelove premiered. It was directed by Stanley Kubrick, and it starred Peter Sellers, who plays three of the principal characters, and also George C. Scott and Slim Pickens. The plot is that this unhinged, crazy United States Air Force general orders a rogue first-strike nuclear attack on the Soviet Union. And then it follows the President of the United States and his advisors and the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Royal Air Force, the RAF, as they try to prevent the crew of a single B-52 bomber from dropping a bomb on the Soviets and starting a nuclear war. I have seen this movie many times, and it's both. Hilariously funny and deeply disturbing. There's a lot of smart people in the world who know about movies, and they consider it to be one of the best comedies ever made, as well as one of the greatest films of all time. In fact, in 1998, the American Film Institute ranked it 25th in its list of the best American movies. And in 2000, the movie was listed as number three on its list of the funniest American films. In 1989, the United States Library of Congress included Dr. Strangelove as one of the first 25 films selected for preservation in the National Film Registry for being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, unquote. I find that strange because it was filmed in London and it just... It seems a little disconnected that the movie's filmed in London, but it's American film. I just, I don't get it. If you were not alive in the 50s, the late 50s, or the early 60s, you watch this film, it'll give you some clues to the national hysteria about nuclear war. Remember, let's put this in perspective now. This is about 18 months, I think, maybe two years after the Cuban Missile Crisis, when we were all planning to kiss our collective hindquarters goodbye and it it just distills it all down i don't know it, it it makes those sentiments very accessible and the fact that it's in black and white really does it it i mean that's the only way for this movie to be made great movie please make time to see it i may just watch it again real soon here to relive those memories of days gone by and finally from interestingengineering.com we learned that a 19-year-old, a kid, is tracking Elon Musk's private jet and posting it on Twitter. And Elon offered this youngster $5,000 to stop. 
and that's just the beginning. The article is written by Brad Bergen, and it was posted to interestingengineering.com two days ago, January 27, 2022. And here we go. There's an account on Twitter called, quote, Elon Musk's Jet, unquote. It's at Elon Jet, E-L-O-N-J-E-T. And it monitors and reports the movements of the billionaire's private jet via bots that are always monitoring air traffic data, which is public information, and simply reposts it to Twitter. Despite breaking no laws, the owner of this moniker, 19-year-old Jack Sweeney, got a message from Elon in the fall of 2021, which read, Hey, buddy. He didn't say, Hey, buddy. He said, Can you take this down? It's a security risk. Jack responded, Quote, yeah, I can do that, but it'll cost you a Model 3. Only joking, unless, question mark. Elon then offered to pay Jack 5000 bucks, And Jack countered with, quote, any chance to up that to 50 k It would be a great support in college and would possibly allow me to get a car, maybe even a Model 3, unquote. Elon said he'd consider it. But as of writing this article, he hasn't replied either way, at least publicly. Jack told Elon that the data was public and showed him where he got it. And Elon replied, quote, air traffic control is so primitive, unquote. <laughs> well, I give Jack Sweeney high marks for being creative and getting attention. And I'd say that Elon has a problem. There's got to be at least one crazy guy out there that can misuse this information to Elon's detriment. If I were Elon, and I'm not, I'd pay Jack the 50K, and I'd give him a Model 3, and I would hire him for the security team. But I'm not Elon, and Elon's not listening to this, and nobody close to Elon is listening to this, so so it ain't going to happen. And that's all for today, but I do want to leave you with this thought from Stanley Kubrick. Man isn't a noble savage. He's an ignoble savage. He is irrational, brutal, weak, silly, and unable to be objective about anything where his own interests are involved. And that about sums it up. I'm interested in the brutal and violent nature of man because it's a true picture of him, and any attempt to create social institutions on a false view of the nature of man is probably doomed to failure. So let's wrap this show up in the old poster I have here of a clockwork orange, and we'll stick a fork in it because it's done. I'm Rich Grimshaw, and you are invited to join me again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.